All right, let's go. Hey, welcome friends in the room, friends up in the loft and in stage two and in Fort Worth and El Paso, Cedar Rapids, Boise, Idaho, wherever you are tuning in from, we are wrapping up, as JD just said, the last porch of 2020, which is so bittersweet. What a year. We kicked off this year and we started a series called Roaring Twenties, where there was lots of anticipation and excitement. It had been a minute since we had been in the 20s, specifically it had been 100 years, and we talked about the last time as a country we were in the 20s. And we went through like, man, the last time as the 20s, it was called the Roaring 20s, Babe Ruth was around, sliced bread was invented, prohibition was a thing, women's suffrage, holla at your girl, got passed, and just what so much has changed. And as I was praying through and starting to think about tonight, I thought I would just start by doing a similar thing, not for the last 100 years, but for the last 11 months. Because who would have thought a year ago the world that we live in and the way things would look would have gone through so much change and challenges and hardships. In the last 12 months, I mean, we saw the year kick off with the Australian brush fires, which people thought would be one of the biggest defining things of 2020. And oh, how wrong they were. And shortly after that, Prince Harry, Meghan Markle decided to quit the royal family. Who knew that was even a thing? You can just deuce his grandma and we're out of here. <laughs> then the impeachment of the president and his acquittal in January. And then tragically, Kobe Bryant and his daughter on a helicopter crash. And then not long after that, COVID-19 was introduced and transformed everything. Phrases like shelter in place, mask mandate, flatten the curve, went from being what to things that we're all very familiar with. Hundreds of thousands of people would lose their life and millions of people would lose their livelihood and their jobs and their homes, their ability to provide. The Black Lives Matter protest after the tragic killings of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, Jacob Blake, and the waves of protests and riots that happened after that. Chadwick Boseman's also tragic death Black Panther actor after a four-year battle with cancer. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court Justice, after serving for decades in Supreme Court, passed away at age 87. And then the most crazy divided election in our lifetime, maybe ever, all of which 2020 would hold. It not only held those things, but think about the things in terms of practical life, the challenges that you, the people, that our country, that individuals have walked through. Where things like going to see grandma has become a thing that comes with significant risk to it. Graduation parties were done away with. Sports were done away with. Weddings that never took place or if they did it was very small ceremonies. Birthday parties that didn't happen. So much of what was normal all stripped away. This has been a year that has been full of trials where people, a larger number of young adults under 30 live with their parents today than the highest number in our history, which was during the Great Depression. 52% of young adults under 30 today live back with their parents. A sharp increase from where it was a year ago in the 30s. The number of people who have uh, gone back onto medication or just the antidepressants and mental health challenges that have erupted. I mean, people have been walking through trials. And if that wasn't enough, there's also been increased temptation because whenever you have to live at home, you're staying at home, you're all by yourself, you're living in isolation, you're cut off from what is normal the temptation to cope or to look for something to make life a little bit 
take the edge off only increases. So what I want to talk about tonight as we wrap up the year is something that I could not think of a more timely passage in just praying through how to end this year. And that is a passage in James chapter 1 where the Apostle James walks through how to handle trials and temptations. He walks through what is the truth about trials, what's the truth about temptations, because whatever trials are behind you, the truth about living in this world is there's going to be plenty of trials in front of you. There's also going to be plenty of temptations that are just a part of living in a world with a broken sin nature or uh, broken self-destructive desires in your own self and living in this world that we're in. Like J.D. just said, who knows what and when things will exactly get back to normal and even when they do the trials that come from living in a world that is not the way it was intended originally to be are going to be there. So we're going to learn from James on the truth about trials, truth about temptation, and ultimately the truth about God to hold on to in the midst of that. So we're going to be in James chapter 1. Here's what we've got to know about James. James, he's probably, you didn't hear this growing up in Sunday school. James was the little brother of Jesus. Jesus had at least two younger brothers, a guy named James, a guy named Jude. Think about that. However good your firstborn sibling was, it pales in comparison to living in the shadow of Jesus. Think about it. You're sitting at the dinner table, or, you know, little James, nine years old, first century, sitting at the dinner table, mom telling him, why can't you be more like Jesus? If I'm him, I'm going, hey, why can't you be more like Jesus, mom? He's the son of God. Yeah, what am I supposed to do? But James went through life and didn't just uh, grow up in the shadow of his little brother. Eventually, or at some point, he found himself going... Everybody else thinks that this guy is the son of God, and I don't believe it. In other Jesus' own brothers, his family, didn't believe he was the son of God, which honestly makes sense. And it's really one of the reasons why James is such a compelling argument for uh, the resurrection and the reasons that we have to believe. Here's what I mean. Who has siblings in the room? Anybody have siblings? Younger siblings? Older siblings? What would it take for you to believe that your sister is the daughter of God? Or your brother is the daughter of God. I mean, that would be even further. I'm not even going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. Or your brother is the son of God. I mean, think about it. No matter how good or how kind or how perfect everything was to Jesus, if he's your brother or your sibling and you're like, dude, we grew up together, we went on family vacations. Yeah, you know, I, I know all the things. Definitely know him, not the son of God. That was where James was at until one day he saw his brother crucified for a crime that he didn't commit. And his family got together and they buried Jesus, this guy with these massive followings. And James didn't believe it. He just thought, he's a teacher and he's kind of out there. And as they went to the funeral and they're burying Jesus, his brother, they seal him away in a tomb. And three days later, James sees his sibling, Jesus, alive, walking around after being killed and buried in the ground for three days. And everything changed for James. He went from saying, man, that's, I'm telling you, it's just my brother too. That is my Messiah. He's the one, the Savior of the earth. And James came to believe in Jesus. And he writes a letter to Christians spread out throughout the Roman Empire, which is just basically where all Christianity took off and took place and was birthed. And he writes this letter, and it's been preserved, and we have it, and we call it the book of James. And it's just James' instructions to Christians everywhere, trying to figure out how to live out their faith. And he launches immediately into a subject that's so timely for us, because he goes real quick, hey, my name's James, let's talk about trials. And he jumps right in. And what he has to say is so profoundly relevant. I think God is going to speak, and God is going to give us not just handholds for where we are today, but for the Christmas break, for where you're headed to in terms of temptation back at your home, for where we're headed to 
just in general as we walk through trials. So we're going to be in James chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 1, and we'll dive right in. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. He doesn't waste any words, jumps right in. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Or your translation may say endurance or patience, the ability to keep going. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. James launches in and says, hey, I want you to consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of various kinds. The first thing I want to talk about is the truth about trials. On the surface, you read that and like, James, how can you say that? How, how, that's so insensitive that you would even say I should consider it joy or an opportunity to have joy when I walk through trials, when I walk through heartbreak and the relationship doesn't work out, when I find out my mom has cancer, when I find out that I have an autoimmune disease I'm going to have to be on medication for the rest of my life about, when a pandemic strikes and I lose my job. Joy? Really, James? How can you say that? Because James is going to give us or he's given us the truth about trials. One of the things that he lays out is it's not if you face trials. It's when you face trials. That's why I love the Bible. It's so unbelievably honest. In other words, there's a lot of preachers and people out there who are like, Luke, you follow Jesus and nothing will form against you that will ever stand. It's going to be great. Everything's going to work out. Life is going to be, I'm believing for you 2021 or I'm believing for you 2020. And then things like 2020 happen. And they were promising things to people who have faith in Jesus that God never promised. Like, if you follow Jesus, everything's going to be easy. The Bible doesn't teach that. James launches immediately and says, hey, you're going to have hard things come your way. But if you let them, they can be an opportunity. Well, because you know the purpose of those things, you can have joy in the midst of those. The truth about trials is there's something that God will use to move us towards stronger faith. Why can we have joy? Because James says, in the midst of a trial, in the midst of a challenge, things are not going the way you want them to, something happens. And here's what he says in the verse. They are the testing of your faith. Because verse 3, I don't know if they put it back up there. Put verse 3 back up. So that the testing of your faith, let me really quick leave it up there. The word faith in this context, because a lot of people are not sure exactly what faith means or they kind of ambiguously throw it out there. Faith what James is saying in this context is confidence in God. That's what the word would be synonymous with. It is, hey, your ability or your confidence that God is who he says he is. He's going to do what he said he would do. He's going to do everything he promised. And he's accomplished everything he has said in his word. That's what faith is in this context. James saying, hey, every time you walk through a trial, it is putting to the test your confidence in God. Your confidence that God is good. He's in control. He's got a plan for my life. What he says in his word about this life being a vapor is true. He made me on purpose. He made me uniquely. All the things that I say I believe. When I walk through a trial, James says, when life, man, just feels like you're getting kicked every day, punched in the face, metaphorically speaking. When you walk through those things, it is putting to the test and revealing to you what you really believe. Not what you say you believe, not what you may be pretending to believe, 
Not even what you were told as a child, this is what you should believe, but what you actually believe. It puts to the test your confidence in God. And James says, hey, it's going to reveal where and what you actually believe about God. Why could that be a good thing? The word that he uses for test is the same word that, like in alchemy or alchemist. It's a big word. It's basically people who work with metals and gold and diamonds and try to test what is. Like, is this fool's gold or is this real gold? And what do they do to find out if this is real gold or fool's gold? They put it to a test. They determine the strength of the metal. They determine if it's real. James says, hey, that's what trials are like. They're putting to the test what you actually believe. Why would that be a blessing? Why would that be a good thing? He says next in the verse, verse 4, which you can put back up. Let this testing, which makes perseverance, continue or finish its work so that you may be mature or you may grow and be complete, not lacking in anything. In other words, as you walk through those trials, what you're going to experience is it's going to reveal what you actually believe, and it's going to give you the opportunity to grow in your confidence in God. When you walk through that breakup and you decide, Despite the fact that this is not what I would have chose, I'm going to trust you, God. I'm not going to do what everybody in my life is telling me to do, which is, man, just get back on Tinder or get back with that old girl. I'm going to actually follow what you told me to in the Bible. And as you do, your confidence, or you're going to grow and you're going to mature in your faith. God will allow us to move through and to face challenges and trials, to grow and mature and strengthen our faith. My daughter is two years old. She loves going to playgrounds, um, playing in like the tree fort that we have here in Watermark, the Dallas campus. And every now and then we'll go up to that tree fort, um, uh, especially during COVID when it's all locked down and there's like nowhere to go. And it's like one of the few perks working at this place. There's nobody there. So we'd go up there and we'd play on that little tree fort. It's like a playground. And she would go and they have these bridges that you could run across and, and uh, we'd run across and she'd play. And there's this one bridge that's not made out of wood. It's made out of like these uh, net, rope nets, if you will, that are just kind of cross braided together. And you walk across and it's just a, another form of a bridge. But because she's two, she doesn't get like, oh, I can't really fall through this and everything's going to be okay. So she would take a few steps and she would go out on the middle of this bridge and then she would panic and just go ballistic and be screaming for her father to come pick her up and get her off of this net. As her dad, here's a weird thing about parenting. There's times where you have to let them learn on their own. That net is not going to fall. You're going to be just fine. Come on, baby girl. Keep going. You got this. And she doesn't want to, and she's not sure that it can hold her. But as her dad, I'm going, I know it can hold you. Keep moving. In the same way, in moments of trial, God will allow us to go through trials that we wouldn't choose, but that he will use to show us that he is enough. That every trial in our life, James would say, is an opportunity for you to grow in your confidence. Everything you say you believe, it's going to be exposed, exposed, and you'll find out what you actually believe. And in those moments, if you choose to trust God, you keep walking, you're going to find, just like that rope is more than strong enough, he is more than strong enough to hold you, to get you through it. And James says, that's why you and I can have pure joy. The other blessing, and this is a, a huge encouragement, I think this past year, because everybody's been through trials, or everyone's been through a lot of trials. If you made it out without facing one, man, we need to have you teach next week. We'll extend the porch next week. And um, I think one gift that is given to us is that as those trials have come, we get to discover, oh, man, these are some areas of my life and my faith where 
I don't actually believe God is who he says he is. We've all been confronted with how the chaos and uncertainty and just challenges of life exposes some of the places where we may not really believe God is who he says he is. And in that test, we discover where we are. It's like this. There's two types of exercise tests. When you go um, and, you know, you enroll in Orange Theory or CrossFit or Bar Method or whatever other fitness class you're out there. You go in, and the first day, they're going to have you do a fitness test. What's a fitness test for? It's to basically show you how out of shape you are. And they have you do this test, and they go through it, and they have you do all the tests. And it's for the point of discovering where you are so that you can get to where you want to be. That's the entire point of it. It's for you to discover, oh, this is where I'm at. If I want to get to a fitness goal, i got to know where I'm actually at in order for me to get there. And this year has been a chance where God, through the trials and testing, has given us the ability to discover, man, this, I really don't trust him with my singleness. I really don't believe his way for sex is as good or is right. And I really don't think pornography is that big of a deal. I really don't think it's that big of a deal to smoke marijuana every once in a while. I really don't think it's that important to date the type of person God says that all of us in the midst of trials, in the midst of the things that we turn to, in the midst of the decisions that maybe are a byproduct of being in the midst of what we are. We discover where we are. And here's what I want you to know. We're going to get to this in a second. Wherever you are, the best encouragement I would give you is be honest. Just be honest with where you are. Going, hey, you know what? I really don't believe God is as good as he says he is. I really don't believe I should date the way that he says he should date. I really don't believe sex outside of marriage is that big of a deal. The best thing, if you want to move to the direction of actually growing in your character, growing in your faith, you've got to acknowledge where you are now. And James says, if you want to grow and you want to mature, it begins with knowing, hey, what do I actually believe? What actually do I think? What am I learning about myself in the midst of, I know for me, Man, I do not like being controlled. People tell me to wear a mask. I don't want to wear a mask just because you told me to wear a mask. There's something that's broken inside of me where I realize, hey, when people tell me what to do, I just want to turn into a street fighter and be like, I'm going to tell you what to do. And that is not okay. And an area where I need to have God, man, take ground. There's pride. There's anger. There's selfishness. And I don't want to be that man. I don't know what it is for you, but one of the encouragements I would give you is, Take an honest evaluation. Where are you? What do you actually believe? What do you actually need God to take ground? Second thing he says, or he walks us through, is not just trials in life, but it's testing, or excuse me, temptation. Where he lays out after covering trials, and this is what it looks like to walk through that, he says this. Verse 13 of James chapter 1. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. So he begins to talk about temptation. He says, anytime temptation comes, let me cross one thing out. God never tempts people. So it's not God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. So James begins to unpack temptation. The Greek words, 
for trial and temptation are like crazy close. So in the Greek, there's a little bit of a play on words, but don't get distracted by that. The point is, he begins unpacking temptation, and he gives us the truth about temptation. I think a lot of us, when we think of temptation, people will use language like, you know, I was just on my way over here, and this guy cut in front of me, and I was like, not today, Satan. And I said, not, you're not going to have your way with me, devil. And we're quick to point out that temptation comes from out there. And James says, oh, no, 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 no. There's plenty of temptation that comes from in here. He doesn't mention the devil. He says, here's how temptation works. And he walks through and he says, it happens on the inside. The truth about temptation is it comes from within and that we fight it with the truth. I'll cover that in a second. The Bible says it comes from within. What do I mean by that? The Bible says, man, this will make so much sense. Honestly, if you're not a Jesus follower, what I'm about to share right now, I don't know how you make sense of this. Because what the Bible teaches the reason why temptation comes from then is because it says we have something called a sin nature. What's a sin nature? It means that sin comes naturally or naturally. In other words, I don't have to work to sin. Uh, it comes very easy. Nobody has ever said the phrase, man, you know what? 2021 is going to be my year. I'm going to lust more than ever. I'm going to be angry more than ever. Really working on upping my selfishness game. I find myself always being the selfless guy. And I really need to work on being a little bit more selfish. No one has ever done that. Why? Think about that. Why is it so easy for you to be a jerk? Why is it so easy for you to be anxious and so self-focused and so self-obsessed? Why? That's what I mean by like, apart from the Bible, how do you explain that? Why, why can't we just all in neutral be like, yeah, I'm just so happy all the time. Life is great. And it's, uh, why is that not possible? Why don't I have to work at lusting after other people? It just comes naturally. The Bible would say it's because you have a sin nature. And that's key to understanding. If you're going to fight temptation, you've got to understand where it's coming from. You've got to understand where it comes, which is within. One of the key ways that it comes is not from Satan. It comes from within. He uses an analogy. That's, he uses two analogies, really. And the first is a fishing lured and enticed and dragged away. Any fishermen in here? Anybody fish? Good. Two of you. One of you? Great. Awesome. 2021 or 2020 took fishing away from people, too. He uses, hey, this is how temptation works. You see it, you see some sort of bait, you begin to go, man, that doesn't seem that bad. I'm interested in that, just like a fish seeing bait. And all of a sudden you're going closer, 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 and you're lured and hooked. It's pretty important to know about temptation. Is the way that temptation works is it always disguises itself as something appealing. He says, by your own desires. This is how temptation works. It appeals to, like, the things you want, things you desire. It doesn't come. In other words, temptation, when it comes, if you were to put it in a food analogy, so to speak, temptation doesn't disguise itself as kale salad walking around, like, oh, look at me, no salad dressing, just salt and pepper. Delicious. That never happens. Temptation is going to come much more, if you will, to use an analogy or metaphor, like this hostess cake that you scarf down when you were in second grade, where it just pops up and you're going to be more tempted. It's going to be come in the form of something that, man, that is appealing to me. In fact, who wants some? Who wants some? All right. Okay. And intercepted. That's harsh. Okay. All right. Nope. Okay. All right. Let me just dump them out. Last four. Wow, man, you guys got to eat, dude. At least, hey, if you, if you have this on, you don't have to wear a mask. All right. In other words, temptation 
When it shows up, and this is so huge, because a lot of us are going to think, oh, man, if, I'll, if temptation is there, I would totally see it, and I would know it. And he says, no, no, that's the thing with temptation. You don't even realize you're beginning to be pulled in. You're walking past it, and all of a sudden, you're hungry, and you're sitting there. You're like, hey, despite the fact that everybody else is eating one of these hostess things, I don't need it. It's not for me. I don't want that. It's not that good. And slowly by slowly, I just begin to go, man, that, it's just like, maybe just like a little bit of icing here. I mean, I've already tried it, so I might have a little bit more. I mean, it's, look, who even agreed that this was going to be the standard that I would hold myself to? And slowly by slowly, in and in, James says, eventually, you're hooked. Yeah, be careful when you're eating yours. <laughs> and it doesn't seem that way in the moment. This is going to be really hard to get rid of for the rest of this talk. But you don't even see it. And you're just going, man, it's just a little bit, or it's not that big of a deal. It doesn't really matter. And pretty soon, at the end of every temptation, he says, you're lured, enticed, and hooked. This is why first time, you know, you smoke a cigarette. It's like a huge buzz. It's like, oh, man, wow, that was awesome. Second time, that's not nearly as much. Third time, fourth time, or vaping, or e-cigs, or whatever you want to call it, it's kind of the same thing. Eventually, you get to the place where you're like, I can't even be normal without a cigarette. Like, I can't even, like, my mind, I can't even focus. James would say, lured, enticed, hooked. That's why you find yourself at home, and you came home, and roommate is not there, and you're walking around, and you're like, oh, man, we're supposed to go to dinner. We're going a little bit. There's nobody here. And, um, oh, man, I got my phone. Uh, you know, I can't leave yet, even though I know I probably shouldn't be here. Like I struggle with, you know, pornography, and I'm all alone. I just had a hard day, and when I have a hard day, I'm tempted to turn porn, honestly, because it kind of, like, lets me numb. But I'm supposed to go to dinner, but i, I got to charge my phone, so I'm going to hang a little bit longer. I charge my phone, and i got to switch the laundry out. Maybe I'll just sit while I'm waiting. I'm checking Instagram. Man, there's a bikini pic. And step by step, and I'm back into porn. It's why the dating relationship where it's like, hey, when we, we're, just, we're not going all the way. We don't actually have sex. And we're just kind of like, we just love each other. I mean, it would be wrong if we weren't sexually attracted to each other, right? And we, we're going to get married or we're pretty much married in God's eyes. Cross boundary, cross boundary, cross boundary. Now we're sleeping together. And we can't even make it work without sex in the relationship. And James would say, took a little bite, took a little bite, and hooked says it's the way temptation works every time. And you got to know, it's not going to come like some, oh, I clearly see it luring me in right now. He says, that's the challenge. You can't see the hook. You just see what's on the outside. You just see the thing that's appealing to you. But every time that you and I walk down the path of sin, he uses another illustration of what comes forward. And it's such a like sobering, like, oh man, you went from fishing to that where he says this in verse 14, or verse 15. After saying they're lured by their own desire, you can throw it back up there, Alex. Verse 15. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. In other words, after that desire, and you're like, oh man, I want that, I want that, I want that, it brings forth and has conception. He uses pregnancy language. After that conception takes place, that sin, when it's full grown, it gives birth to something too. And it gives birth to death. 
It's eerily similar to him describing what maybe you've known people have walked through or um, you're familiar with, which is a miscarriage. That moment where there's a pregnancy and you're excited and it seems like there's life there. And then what's brought forward is not alive. It's dead. That's what I mean by it's like jarring, sobering. James says that's, that's what sin is life. It's like, oh, this is going to be awesome. There's life here. And then there's shame. And there's regret. Disappointment. That's why it's, man, I'm living for the party, going for the weekend. It's going to be amazing. He says every time afterwards where well, you think there's life and then afterwards comes death, the hangover. He says every time sin takes place, there's a hook and it brings and eventually destroys relationships, brings death. This is why the high, and you, you hear about it, just people who have, who have affairs outside of their marriage. It feels like every other week somebody comes out and they're having an affair. You know what they weren't experiencing in the moment where they're having an affair? Death. They weren't thinking, oh man, this is so terrible. I want to keep doing this. They were thinking, man, despite the fact that I know this is wrong, it's probably not right, but it feels like there's life here. And then you see them on camera, you see their children crying, you see the family ruined, and you're like, and it brought forth death. And James says, that's what temptation, you've got to understand the truth about temptation. If you follow it, that's where it leads. So, how do we fight temptation? The Bible is very clear, and I've got to move really quickly on this. The way that we fight temptation is with the truth. And that feels like a really easy thing to say. But over and over and over again, it says the way that you and I battle or we live out our Christian faith, we don't live according to our sin nature. We live according to our God nature, the new spirit life. Those may be words you're not familiar with. You're back in church, but let me explain it as clearly as I can. We begin to think, or we begin to learn how God says we should think about stuff. How do we do that? In God's word. In other words, the Bible over and over and over, we don't have time to go through, says, how do you live out your faith? How do you live out the new life? How do you fight temptation? With the truth. Jesus tempted three times, Matthew chapter 4. He's out in the wilderness, devil comes up. Gives him these three temptations, pretty crazy story. Every time Jesus responds with what? The word of God. He says, man, that temptation, that appeals to me. Here's what God's word says. The Bible says the way that you and I Live out the new life is by beginning to transform the way that we think. By living, knowing, reading God's word. Psalm 119, David writes, How can a young man stay on the path of purity? And he means purity sexually, but he also means just like the path of pure life. By living according to your word. Hello. <laughs> I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart, David speaking. I've hidden God's word. I took your word and I hid it in there and I read it and I hold on to it and I try to live by it that I might not sin against you. In order for you to live by God's word, in order for you to, hey, man, I'm not going to fall for those temptations. I'm going to begin to transform my life. You have to know God's word because you can't live with it if you don't know it. In order for you to know it, you have to read it, spend time in it. Tonight, we're going to give anybody who wants one a Bible. We've got thousands of them out there. They're NET. They're great Bibles. And this break, if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. Even if you have one, you want a new one. Gift to you. And this break is a great opportunity for you to begin to go, I am going to spend time every day with God and his word. Let me challenge you. If you've never done that before, here we go. Ready for this? I dare you. For 31 days, that's December, read a proverb a day. There's 31 of them. You can do one every day. If you miss one, you know, pick it up the next day, and you're still marching through. That means I open up Proverbs 1. That's what I do December 1st. Proverbs 2, December 2nd. Some of you guys are like, I'm not a 101. I'm a 201 level. 
You can do that and walk through the book of John. And if you're like, man, extra credit, challenge me. All the gospels before the porch returns. Spend time. Oh, that's not that much. People good grief. You can do it tonight. All of them. And spend time reading, studying, applying. And as you cross through something that intersects with, because most people, here's the deal. It's not that the Bible, the problem with most people when it comes to the Bible and like, I don't really like to read it. It, it isn't that the Bible contradicts itself because it doesn't. It's that it contradicts them. So every time that happens, I want you to circle it and write it out and go, yeah, this is not what I think in neutral or not how I normally live. And you begin to go, God, help me to live out your word. Help me to apply the truth because behind every attractive lie or temptation is a lie. And the way that we fight that is in that moment knowing this is the truth. I can go down this path. I can look at pornography. I can have an affair. I can get wasted again. But that is not just a moment. That is a path that I'm stepping on. And I begin to go through in my mind what is the truth where he calls me to live according to his word, to not set my eyes on anything pure, Job 31 says, to be sober-minded in all things. And I begin to rehearse and live out the truth. So if you don't have a Bible, you can go to that. Others of you, here's what I want to do as it relates to truth. This is going to be an acronym. Hope is really helpful and really profound. And, and honestly, if you do the next three minutes worth of stuff, your entire break, your, your future may change for what I'm about to do. Because if the way that we experience freedom from temptation is the truth. One of the challenges that we have is drilling the truth into our hearts and ripping out the lies. So what I want to do is give an acronym of the word truth. And you know what truth? Truth is a choice that you have a decision to apply and live out. So what does it start with? It starts with you. Anytime you or anytime you experience an ungodly behavior in your life. Maybe, and this could be, man, I just like, when I think about my singleness, I begin to freak out and I panic. I get on 18 dating apps and I honestly make up various fake identities. And I'm like, I'll do whatever you want. Whatever that is for you. Or maybe you're like, I just get angry when I'm driving in traffic and I punch my steering wheel. Or uh, I'm addicted to pornography. Or me and my girlfriend, we messed up again. I want to walk through whatever the ungodly behavior is behind everything. So you just write that out. You fill in the blank. This is the ungodly behavior. Beyond most, or not most, all ungodly behavior, there's a trigger. There's something that triggered you to go there. That's the T. The trigger or triggers. There's one thing, many things, could be dozens of things that could be behind it. And beneath that, there is a rooted belief. I'm going to explain all of this. Man, this is like life transforming for me. There's rooted beliefs that are informing what leads to the behavior that's here. There's rooted beliefs Wrong beliefs. Could be wrong beliefs about God. Could be unrealistic expectations about the world. Could be just irrational beliefs. This is where I have to expose what is driving or informing the ungodly behaviors in my life. And then the truth from God's word. I got to replace, that's the next T, the truth with the roots. I got to take out God's word. Here's what it actually say. And I'll, wait, I'll walk through a couple examples to give you. And then H, which is helpful future response. What's a helpful future response as I think about this? In other words, hey, I want to change this behavior. Every time that I get panicked, I turn to something that I don't want to turn to. Every time that I get uh, overwhelmed at work, I turn to pornography. Every time that I get stressed, I do a booty call. Every time, whatever it is for you, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to actually grow. If you're in the room and you're like, actually, I'd like to change. This is for you. If you're in the room and you're like, actually, I'd like to get worse. Not for you. Turn out the next five minutes. But here, for those who do. So let's say you struggle with road rage. Driving down the road, somebody cuts you off in track. You're like, oh, no. Nah. Boom, punching the steering wheel, punching your console. And you're like, 
I can't even say any sort of acronym that would do anything. Words come out and you're like, I can't believe it. And you're flying by giving them the bird. And you're like, what's messed up with you? And then you've got the fish on the back of your car and everything else. Anyways, you got the ungodly behavior. And you're like, man, why did that happen? Well, you would say, well, what triggered me is a guy cut me off in front of me on the way there. Maybe, maybe that's one of them. That's probably one of them. Seems like it's one of them. Could be some other things. Maybe you had a stressful call, stressful email, something related to your boss. You're like, he's just such a jerk. That also triggered you. You're disappointed with whatever's going on in life. There could be several triggers. Most people stop there and they go, you know what would make my uh, hand stop bleeding from punching things whenever someone cuts me off? If people would learn how to drive, that's what would make me stop bleeding. Nope. In fact, to focus on the triggers, whether it's anxiety, things that make you feel that way, it's really kind of a useless thing because you live in a messed up world. You're going to reduce triggers sometimes, but you you can just take Ubers everywhere, I guess, but it's not realistic. you got to focus on the root beliefs. What are the root of beliefs that are underneath that? Maybe it's just wrong beliefs about like, hey, God, you promised me an easy life. People shouldn't be cutting me off as I'm driving. He didn't promise you that. He said in this world you're going to have trouble. Maybe it's just an irrational, unrealistic expectation that everybody should learn how to drive the speed limit and watch where they're going. That's irrational. You don't do that. There's something where you got to expose and go, man, that, that is off. Ultimately, maybe it's just selfishness that you're just like, you're really selfish and you want your way and you don't want anyone else to do the things that bother you. And you're selfish. So then you take those and you begin to go, and God says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. God says, this life is not about me. God says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. People are going to cut you off. People are going to end up driving straight into you. You're not promised anything. I need to begin to rehearse and go through all of those truths in correspondence with the root beliefs that are there. Then I walk through, this is the most helpful pregame of all time. This is kind of afterwards, your hands bleeding there and you're like, oh, I need to think of like a better response to this. I go through a helpful future response. By pregame, I mean like I'm thinking, not like pregame, but like I'm pregame on what next time I'm going to do when that happens again. They're going to cut me off. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go, I'm going to change lanes. There you go. Problem solved. I'm going to rehearse God that you tell me the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. I'm going to walk through scriptures where you tell me to be slow, to be angry. You know what? I'm going to pray for that person. They're going to cut me off, and I'm going to be tempted to be like, I'm going to pray for them. And you're walking through, anticipating, this is what I'm going to do. Maybe maybe for you, you would say, man, I just, I struggle with anxiety, and um, I, I just get overwhelmed with anxiety about singleness. And I find myself in an ungodly or unwanted emotion. You know what triggered it? Pulled out my friend on Instagram, just got engaged. Now I'm overwhelmed, I'm gonna be alone, another one bites the dust, and here I am headed to be cat lady. <laughs> I just feel a spiral. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe the other trigger is you just, you just got broken up with, you just got out of a relationship. You haven't been asked out in like years. And so when you see that, you begin to spiral, spiral, and spiral. 
And you may think, man, I just need to get rid of Instagram or like I need to get friends that are not. <laughs> the most like squirrel thing ever. What you need to do is focus on the root beliefs that are beneath that. Maybe your belief is like, hey, God, if I follow you, husband, if I follow you, wife should be brought into my life. And you're not giving me that. He never promised that. Maybe for you, it's the idea that you bought the lie or the wrong belief. that A life where I don't get married is not a life worth living. That's a lie. Jesus had the most abundant, fulfilled, perfect life of all time. Never married. And you bought a lie. I don't know what it is for you. But you've got to dig to that root belief. And then you go, what's the truth from God's word? Truth from God's word is no matter if I never get married, Jesus is enough and that relationship has the ability to satisfy any person in any heart and allow me to walk through any hardship that I face. The idea that life is not worth living, I'm going to replace it with a lie. God, your word tells me this life is a vapor. It's not about me. And what I'm going to experience for all of eternity pales in comparison to focusing here. And then I'm going to walk through a helpful future response. Next time I see that, see the Instagram pic, I'm just going to say, God, will you help me right now? Because I feel a little bit discouraged. Will you help me to find my hope in you? I'm going to trust in you. And then I'm going to go comment and say, heart, 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 love this. So excited for you and Steve. And I'm walking through. Some of you truly, like this exercise, you need to spend the next 30 days. And you need to do this. You got some, you have an addiction or honestly just some like really dysfunction. You need to begin to go, God, will you search me and know me and help me walk through this? That's why some, some of you, honestly, you shouldn't date right now because there's so many triggers and so many bad, toxic, messed up beliefs that are underneath that the reason you get in a relationship, you're like, yes, I'm trying to follow God and he's a great guy. And all of a sudden, boom, three dates in, we're sleeping together is because something triggers that ungodly behavior. And it's like, I feel like I've learned my whole life, wrong beliefs, that in order to be loved, I need to give sex. And I got the impression he may not love me. So I go and give him sex. Like, you shouldn't be dating right now because you need to root out those beliefs with the truth from God's word before you're ready to date and move forward. But the way that we fight temptation is with the truth. Finally, he lands and ends, and I'm about to land the plane, with, I think, one of the most helpful reminders of all of them. So the last section we'll go through. Do not be deceived, brothers and sisters. I love this. I want you to think about the last 11 months. I want you to think about just life. And James would write to you what he wrote to these people. Facing trial and temptation. Don't be deceived. Don't let anyone trick you. Don't fall for the lie. What lie, James? Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of heavenly lights i love that heavenly lights is just a word for the stars who does not change like shifting shadows he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that's the gospel that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created James goes in, and I love this, and he ends with, hey, hold on to the truth about God. As you walk through trials, you walk through temptations, you've got to hold on to the truth about who your God is. The truth about your God, he is good, he's not far, he's in control. 
Every good thing in this life, every good thing imaginable comes from him. And he only gives good things. And he walks through and he points those things out. Don't buy the lies of temptation. That there could be anything good that is disconnected from God. That's where he's coming. That our God only gives good things. And I'm going to explain how he can say that, how we can know that, how you could even believe that. My son is five years old, and a couple nights ago we were watching this movie. It was Arthur Christmas, which I had never seen before. Not, not recommending, not opposing, but we we're watching it. And in the movie, um, it has like, it's a Christmas show, and it's about Santa Claus and Santa coming. And at some point, Santa is in the house, and it's, it's kind of a, don't get distracted by it, but Santa's walking around. He's got the elves, and it's like a 20th century version of Santa. So he's like suited up, lots of technology. And the house they're in, the boy wakes up. And Santa's in the bedroom, and Santa's afraid he's going to get found, so he dives on the floor, and he, he's laying at the foot of the bed, hiding from the little boy. Yeah, it's an average scene, not really much to talk about, unless you're five. And your greatest fear in life is something hiding underneath your bed or at the foot of your bed. So he begins to play through this tape in his mind. I go upstairs, I put him down to bed. I don't know he's playing that tape, and I read him a story, bedtime prayers. Good night, son. Love you. Dad, why was Santa at the foot of the bed? Ah, oh, Santa was at the foot of the bed. Uh, no, Santa's not. He doesn't come into the kids' bedrooms. And Santa underneath my bed, Dad. <laughs> I don't want him in my bed, Dad. And he's walking through and he's terrified. I'm like, I'm trying to explain Santa. Normally, like a one-year-old's terrified of Santa, but a five-year-old, like, Dad, he's, Santa's going to break into our house? That doesn't feel safe, Dad. And I'm trying to explain, like, no, 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 because he's still trying to get even Santa Claus and, and uh, story for another time. But as it relates to that, I'm going, no, 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 Santa, he, he only comes down the chimney. He, he, uh, there's a secret about Santa, I'll tell you someday. But Santa, he just brings good gifts. He just brings good things. You don't have to be afraid. He's not going to stop by your room. Please don't let him stop by my room, Dad. <laughs> he only brings good things. What happened was he got this wrong impression of what Santa was like. As though Santa was real anyways. But he saw this wrong version of it, and he held on to that. And he couldn't wrap his mind around, no, 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 no. Santa, he only, he brings good things. Like Santa, he's jolly, he's great, got the reindeer. He held on to a wrong version of him. Couldn't see them. No, no, he brings good things in your life. And James says to his audience, and he would say to you, and he says to me, hold on to the right version of your God. Don't interpret God through the lens of your circumstances. Interpret your circumstances through the lens of who your God is. Your God is good. Every good thing in this life, every good thing that has ever existed, it comes from one place, from one source, and that is God. He's not only good, he's great. The father of lights. What does that mean? It's the father of the stars. James points out he's the God of the cosmos. He's the God of all that is. He's the God of existence. He's not just good. He is great. And in the face of temptation, you've got to hold on. In the face of trials, you've got to hold on. Because what do we all question? In the midst of trials, we question, where are you, God? How long are you going to let this happen? Don't you, do you even care what I'm walking through? And we begin to question are you really good? James says, no, 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 don't get a wrong version of who your God is. He's good. And then he lays out the most beautiful verse and powerful truth you've got to hold on to. I'm about to wrap it up. Of how James would say, here's how I know he's good. Here's how you can know he's good. Because it was him. 
who chose us, verse 18, put it back up there, Alex. He chose to give us birth. That's talking about new life. He's talking to Christians. He's saying, this is what God did for you. You didn't do this. I didn't do this for you. And your mama didn't do this for you. God chose to give us birth through the word of truth. That's the gospel. That's the message that Jesus, God, came into this world to die for you and for me, for sinners everywhere. You don't earn your way to God. He extended an invitation where he paid for your sins. He says, everyone's welcome. I paid for your sin. I paid for everything messed up you've ever done. And if you will trust not in how good you are, how many times you've been to church, or allow whatever bad things you've done to make you think I don't love you, if you'll trust in what I did on the cross for you, paying for your sin and rising from the dead, you will have eternal life. You will be born again. And James says, you didn't choose that. When you walk through trials, you remember who your God is. You didn't work your way into a relationship with him, which means you can't work your way or send your way out of it. It was God who chose to give you new birth. It was God who started all of this. He's the one who gave his life, who started this work in you. He's not going to let you go. He says, none who are in my hand will ever be able to escape it. So when you walk through trials, when you walk through temptations, when you feel down and out, you remember who your God is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's no shifting or shadows in the midst of him. He's the father of lights who's in control, and he loves you. And James says, when you're tempted to believe he's not good, his way's not good, hold on to the truth about your God. It's the third idea. Just like you didn't choose to be born from your parents. No one who is a follower of Jesus chose that. God allowed that to happen. Just I got two kids. Neither one of them played any role in coming into existence. Mama, daddy played that role. They didn't choose it. They just got brought along. And James says, he chose. That's the message of the Bible. He chose. Every Christian, every person, they don't get credit for it. This is why it's such unbelievably good news that you cannot escape, outrun, work yourself out of a relationship with God if you've trusted in him. And you can hold on to that hope no matter what 2021 has, no matter what the rest of this year has. And James says, hold on to the truth about your God. No matter what you face and what you walk through, what he has done, what he will do, he is good. How do I know he proved it, James would say, when he gave his life for you, for me, anyone who was simply accepted on the cross. Let me pray. I want to do something that we don't often do here, but I want to invite you to close your eyes. I know every single week there are hundreds of young adults who join us that are here for the first time, many of whom have never had a place or a moment where they put their faith in Jesus and they've trusted in what Jesus did on the cross. And it would be such a miss, and I've just felt this burden from the Lord that, man, there are some in this room who tonight, you feel God calling you into a relationship with him, inviting you to step out of the darkness of your life, out of the pain, out of whatever it is, and into his forgiveness, that you can experience at a soul level beginning to be healed, forgiven, and what Jesus would say, completely righteous. No matter what you did today, what you do tomorrow, or 20 years from now, you will be in a moment forgiven, and it only happens one way, by receiving the free gift that Jesus gave us on the cross. 
And I would hate to end 2020 without giving you a chance for the most insignificant, important decision you're gonna make for the rest of your life. For you to make, which is to put your faith in Christ. The invitation that God has given to just say, man, I'm a sinner. I acknowledge I don't deserve to have a relationship with the perfect, holy God. But if what is written in the Bible and the gospel is true, that you made a way for me to have that relationship by giving your life for me, I just want to accept that free gift by faith. I'm putting my trust not in me, but in Jesus. And if you're in that place, I want to invite you right now to just raise your hand. Everybody's eyes are closed, wherever you're at. And I want to lead you just in a prayer. And you're going to make the most important, significant decision you're going to make for the rest of your life. Wherever you are, raise a hand. If you're ready to say, man, I'm going all in. I'm ready to accept God's grace, His forgiveness. It was for me. It was for me. I see you down here, over here. I want to make the most important decision I'm going to make right here. Anyone else? We're here. Those who are raised hands, we just, I'm going to pray, and you just, wherever you're at quietly, you can pray after me. The prayer doesn't save you. The prayer is a reflection of the faith that you are expressing at a heart level. There's no magic words. It's putting your trust in Jesus. Just wherever you're at, quietly, to yourself, as loud as you want. Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I don't deserve to have a relationship with a holy, perfect God. But I'm putting my trust in what you did through sending your son, Jesus, to die the death I deserved after living a life of perfection I couldn't live. And he did that for me. And I'm putting all of my faith, all of my trust, all of my hopes of eternity on no one other than Jesus. And his death and his resurrection, I thank you that because he rose again, I will rise and I will live forever with you in eternity. Take my life, use it, and make me more like your son, my savior, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.